First on Film and Entertainment, my name's Alex First. Joining me, Peter Krause and Jackie Hamilton. The two of you, are you excited? Are you excited that we're almost at the grand final, Peter Krause? Uh, what grand final? What's going on? Exactly. And Jackie <laughs> Hamilton, your team lost in abject fashion, so you don't care anymore, do you? What did they lose? Sorry? Thank you. Between the two, this is like the blind leading the blinder. It is very, very sad. And, you know, this is the time to get excited. The spring racing carnival is coming. This is entertainment. Oh, the poor, poor horses, Alex. Oh, golly. We're off on the wrong me. foot here. The Queen <laughs> loved horses. You, you look, come on, your daughter loves horses, Jackie. Yes? Yeah, yes, so much she doesn't want them to race. What's it got to do with my daughter? But there we go. Right, well, a film show. <laughs> oh, we're not doing this again. It's an entertainment program and you provide light-hearted entertainment for me. What could be better than that? Oh, you do make me laugh, Alex. Now, have you been watching the, well, millions of people literally traversing past the coffin of the Queen? It, it's been as it, I expected it to be like this, but it's there's something... I, I, I just appreciate what has been happening. I know she's a human being, but she was a very special human being. And we spoke about this briefly last week, Peter. The way that the Brits do this is above and beyond. And you've got to commend even 22 hours in a line. I was hearing that yesterday. Wow. Uh, filing past a coffin. Have you been to Russia ever, Peter? No, but I've seen a documentary where Stalin's funeral um, also was attended by millions of people. Mm. I, I was filing past a coffin in Red Square, etc., when Nadine and I visited, Nadine being my wife, and we were queuing there, but obviously nowhere near as long as this. Have either of you ever queued for anything for hours on end? I'm really curious because I have. I, I remember queuing at the Sydney Olympic Games. What about Bob the two Dylan of you? tickets. Tickets to the Bob Dylan when he was here. How long for? Uh, overnight. Did you really? So, so yes. uh, okay. Well, in, in, I think it was, was it Russell Street or Exhibition Street? There was a, a, a ticket seller office. This is obviously going way back. Oh, yeah, but, but sorry, in terms of overnight, now you didn't expect to have to queue overnight, did you? You just turned up and you then had to oh, wait. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Oh, you yes. did. So, so, in other words, you didn't sleep? Oh, I can't remember. But, no, probably not. Wow. I didn't need sleep back then. I was young and <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> and it I, was worth I, it for Bob Dylan. <laughs> I, I bet it was. Peter, have you ever queued? The, the longest queues I've been involved with was at, uh, years ago at the Melbourne International Film Festival where sometimes the queues could take an hour before we would get in. Mm. An hour? Peter, you're not even trying. No, I was going to say. No. <laughs> Well, the, the, the scare, one of the scariest moments that I had, Jackie, was, was White Knight. You know how, when, yes. like, the crush of human beings and people, God forbid, but they're killed in this, this sort of environment. And I remember not being able to move. I, I lost my wife, absolutely, no question, and she, she got very upset that somehow we disconnected with one another. But you can imagine there were 
what, there were hundreds of thousands of people in the city. And yes, but that's a bit more chaotic, Alex, than than an orderly. Oh community. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that, that's what I that's why I'm commending the the Brits in terms of what they've done, handing out the the, the name tags on the wristbands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so you can you can go to the Portaloos and and come back in your place. And obviously, there was a story yesterday about David Beckham queuing up, and that I mean, that's terrific. That celebrities uh, and he felt the need and obviously he'd met the monarch on a number of occasions but it, it it brings it all back to the pack and there was a sense of bonhomie they were saying about how people made friends in the queue which i do recall from the sydney olympic games that was that was another well, thing well if it's if it's orderly alex you you can do that it's only when there's anxiety that you're you know someone's you know jumping the queue or something that people get fractious and mm. then emotions run high, something like that. But I don't think this is the kind of event, you know, for example, a sports, you know, the, the English soccer mm. finals and that where, where it's gone to the, the extreme, uh, queuing to walk past um, past the body of the Queen or the former Queen is, um, is not going to be that sort of situation. No. However, I, on, on what you just said, I, I have a very distinct memory. It was the end of a, a New Year's Eve fireworks in the city and our daughter was very young. We had her with us for the fireworks, the excitement, and the queue crossing Princess Bridge was so crushed. And, of course, this was not a queue. This was an out-of-control, mm-hmm. um, thousands of people trying to get onto the train to leave all at the same time of course and our daughter was quite you know small and uh, I looked down and she could I, I, I was afraid she actually couldn't breathe because of the crush of people around mm. and of course she was only you know kind of hip height or chest height or whatever and we had to lift her up but yes yeah, so I know the situation but it wasn't like that Alex I haven't been watching that ever since uh, I got sick of hearing about all the queens so what I did was turned over and started watching The Crown on Netflix hey, like hey, hey wait a second you're dealing with a you can watch that at any time this is an event this is a historic event that has obviously gone on for a number of days because of the pomp and ceremony involved in all of that and you know we we shouldn't forget and this is something that really struck me on a number of occasions that you've got people their intimates if you like that the children the grandchildren etc you know feeling that loss and having to be on public show for all of this time. So um, there's an expectation. In other words, if if somebody looks the wrong way, then then the whole world reports on it. So Exactly. And it's almost excruciating, Alex, too. Well, it is, yeah. Going through that. They're really. They're, I, I had that feeling as well, I, that, that, that they – at times you just want to be by yourself. I know that the King, King Charles III, had had one day off, but there was commentary about body language. There was commentary about this, that, and the other. And I mean, you know, you scrutinise everybody to within an inch of their lives. Pardon the pun. You know, it's it, it's it is. There's something awkward about it from my point of view, as well as it, you you can't but help look, but. Uh, you wonder whether there's another way of doing it where they ha- can have their quiet moments as well. Well, maybe that's why I'm not looking. Mm. Peter, what, what's your view on all of that? Yeah, I haven't been watching it. I think it, it is all quite, uh, I mean, I understand it perfectly from the British point of view, but I think it's all somewhat excessive. The coverage, the media coverage is just over the top. And uh, I don't know, I, I still have 
of mixed feelings about all of this. Um, mixed uh, feelings in what respect? Mixed feelings insofar as um, I, I don't know if it's time perhaps to start talking about a republic. Oh, really? Well, uh, that, that conversation, it, it, it's edged up a little bit in the past few days. But again, what's reverential? And, and it's an interesting discussion point because in terms of Shane Warne and, and that conversation having a mini-series or whatever it might have been on Channel 9 and the, the one of the daughters coming out and, and sort of lambasting Channel 9. The whole, the whole family, actually, Alec, all the children have. And, and look, I, I, I well understand that and I also think that it's it's far too early. I, I, I understand that he was colourful and all that sort of stuff, but you know, it, it, you know, what makes it really worse for me is that a, a lot of things that he did and he do, did very, very well were at Channel 9. So, and it's going to, I understand that his managers met, you know, the his long-serving manager has met with Channel 9 and they said it's not going to be salacious, et cetera, and he believes them, but gee whiz, you know, and it's not as if you can say, okay, it's going to be one year, two days and, you know, whatever it might be, but an appropriate amount of time surely needs to go by. And Shane Warne was a larger-than-life figure and his his funeral was extraordinarily well covered in terms of the way that Eddie Maguire and his team handled that and everybody applauded them for that. This is – it just doesn't feel right to me. Does it for either of you? Look, I, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy attached to this. I mean, public figures um, will always have uh, documentaries, miniseries, uh, narratives made about them. Yes, and, but timing – Timing, Peter. Uh, look, look uh, where do you get this timing idea? I mean, look at Shane Warne, the musical. I mean, was that the right uh, timing? Um, look at uh, the documentary. Sorry, when, when was, when, sorry, Shane Warne, the musical, has that come out subsequent to his, his passing? I think it wasn't around, around the same I time. I didn't think, no. Uh, again, I, I don't think it was. And it, it's it, it's kind of... It, it feels icky. That's the right word. It, it just doesn't feel right to me. Jackie, you? Oh, uh, no, no I, I don't mind. I think I think the main difference is in the the if you like the age or the way they died or the shock of it. I think that you have to be a little more circumspect when, uh, for example, the Queen's passing is mm. so very, very different in reaction to Diana's passing because of the shock. Um, mm. You know, with the Queen, 96, you know, had a good innings in the cricket terms. Um, but um, I think also Shane Warnes was a big shock. And so perhaps a little more space might be respectful. Uh, but in the end, by the time this miniseries or whatever it is has been made and makes its appearance on TV, I think people will will be okay about it. I mean, you know, we all have our own thoughts on it. It doesn't really, you know. Uh, I mean, look, reverence is what this to me is all about. Ultimately, a story about Shane Warne's life, he, he's led a very, very colourful existence. There's no question about that. And that colour needs to be in there for people to sort of feel that they've got a view that, that is formulated by truth. So I, I know, I, I mean, if you are So mourning, what you're saying, Alex, is if there's too much colour, people will say it won't be respectful to Yeah, you. I, I think I, I fear whatever is said, that, okay, I'll step back. 
what has been said to the manager of Shane Warne is that everything is drawn from interviews that Shane actually gave. So in other words, it's his words that we are going to be hearing. I feel a bit better about that too, I've got to say. Well, it's in the editing, isn't it? Yeah, it is in the editing, yeah. So I'll, I'll, and there'll be a lot of interest in it, no question, because he he stood, even though he was a legendary cricket figure, he was also somebody who did a lot of good by way of charity work. Uh, he was very kind to other human beings. You know, th- th- there's a lot of facets to him, apart from obviously being caught in his underwear and, you know, all of those elements that came to make up the Shane Warne that I suppose the public got to know. When when these miniseries come out, you also want to learn something about him or the person, him, her, they, that you don't know. So whether or not there are elements of Shane Warne that none of us know, we will only find out in time, and also whether it's a reflection of the truth. Now, I've never watched The Crown, but how accurate a representation is that of the royal family? Alex, you're going to have to watch it because all I heard about was how fantastic it was. And then once, once I've started, I am absolutely hooked. It is. It has such an authentic feel about it. Mm. And I'm getting, I think I'm getting a whole new sense of what that woman was about. Wow. Peter, have you seen it? Yes, I have. And and you mustn't uh, forget that uh, all of the dialogue and conversations and so on, even though partly has been reported, is mostly made up. And uh, even though they've been very careful about uh, the way they've represented the Queen and uh, the royal family, uh, all the dialogue and discussions, etc., are pretty much um, in the mind of the screenwriter. So that's the difference here against what I just said about Shane Warne. If, if indeed they stick to what they've said this week. Oh, it's, you know, it's quite different. It's not uh, – uh, is that going to be a dramatisation or you said the words all come from well, actual they've interviews? Got, well, no, the words will come from interviews. I mean, it will be – I presume that you don't know how they're going to look and, and sound and feel, et cetera, but, yeah, if the words are the words from Shane Warne, I, I can't imagine it'll only be from him. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, because obviously it'll be interacting with other people. So how you can get all of the words, I mean, unless I suppose every conversation is a two-way conversation, so I suppose you're recording both sides. Maybe that's what it'll be. I don't know. I've just well, been... Well, Alex, overall, I would suggest that in all your, your spare time, that downtime, oh, yes, that the, you the take a look hours. at The Crown uh, with Claire mm. Foy as the Queen because it really is... Just absolutely fantastic series. Well, let's talk about Hollywood royalty because they are starring in a sugar and spice feel-good piece of entertainment called Ticket to Paradise, and it is 104 minutes in length. It is M-rated, and I reckon the chemistry between them is really strong. They've worked together. Well, this is their sixth go, isn't it, Ticket to Paradise? So they've been working together for a long time. It is a romantic comedy, and... I suppose we start by saying that 25 years ago, a love story between David, played by Clooney, and Georgia Roberts played out, which saw them marry and soon after they had a child. That daughter, Lily, played by Caitlin Deaver, is about to graduate with a law degree. Her parents separated acrimoniously five years after they married. And although they strictly keep their distance, that is not happening at the graduation ceremony of their daughter. 
they continued to take pot shots at one another, even though they both loved their daughter dearly. And now Lily is headed for holiday to Bali with her best friend and roommate, whose name is Wren, as in the bird played by Billy Lord. Once she arrives in Bali, Lily falls head over heels for a local seaweed fisherman whose name is G'day, which I thought was a nice touch, but G'day is spelt G-E-D-E, so there you go, played by Maxime Boutier. And going and falling in love totally upends her life in a good way. Next thing you know, Lily has given up her starting position at law practice and decided to wed the man of her dreams and live in Bali. So she invites her parents to the wedding, which they intend to Shanghai by sleuth because they want her to be a lawyer. Hijinks abound. And in the process, David and Georgia come to realise that their spark hasn't been totally extinguished. The person behind it, old Parker, who did Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, he is the co-writer and he also directs. He, he co-writes with Daniel Pipsky and that is Ticket to Paradise. So as I say, sugar and spice, all things nice and predictable. Nevertheless, I, I thought there were a number of times that I, I found myself laughing aloud and I know my wife was loving it. What did you think of Ticket to Paradise, Jackie? Um, not not what your wife and you thought of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was, I thought there was no chemistry, but particularly. What? Yes. Hang on, hang on. They've worked together seven, six times and they know each other the way that I thought it really. So you're talking about Clooney and Julia Roberts here, yes, right? Yes, I am, yeah. Okay, so chemistry together? No. Yeah. Look. <laughs> I know the story has them squabbling and arguing. And personally, I hate movies that are based on married or formerly married couples who simply squabble, unless it's really funny and witty and sharp and quick. Then I quite enjoy it. This was not that case. It really, for a comedy, was this a comedy? It really wasn't funny. Um but the couple I was talking about as well is Lily and G'day, who have this uh, obviously so instantly attracted to each other that they have to marry um, cross-culturally. Um, where was the chemistry between them? Uh, uh, maybe it was COVID that was keeping them separate. <laughs> but I don't think I even saw them... Well, there was no romance there, Alex, was there? I I just thought the whole film, Ticket to Paradise, was nothing like its title. It was so bland and to the point of boring, actually. Hang on, hang on. Let's let's just step through a couple of these things. Would you agree that Clooney looks debonair? Well, George Clooney looks like George Clooney. You're looking at George Clooney. Oh, he looks He doesn't put on, there's no character, there's no real background, there's no story to him, there's no character development. He he just has the one one big drunken moment when he lets himself go, he enjoys himself. Maybe he was drunk because he, you know, tries to be entertaining there. But the rest of the time, 
honestly, he just came to Queensland for a bit of sunshine. Well, look, he makes everything look effortlessly simple, I reckon. His smile charms and disarms. And don't you think Robert seems to enjoy her barbed back and forth showcase lines with him? You didn't think that? She certainly puts more effort into it than George Clooney does. She gives as good as she gets. But neither of them is going for an acting award here, right? No, no, no. But but hang on. It's a gorgeous-looking picture, Jackie. The cinematographer, Ole Brat Brickerland, I reckon he's done himself proud. I, bear in mind, you're right, it was shot in the Sundays, which substituted for Bali, and hopefully both tourist destinations benefit enormously as a result. I thought it was a gorgeous-looking picture. You don't agree with that? Okay, so it was a, it was a film about taxation benefits. And, oh, um, come on. That, that, this is incredibly cynical. Okay, Peter, can, can you give me anything? I can give you something, but uh, I think there there is a phoniness to this film, um, especially shooting it in Queensland, mimicking uh, Bali, which uh, reflects the uh, overall storyline. Look, this was no War of the Roses, where there was that great bickering between the couple and uh, uh, turning into something more Machiavellian. This one is so predictable and so bland. We know that Julia Roberts and George Clooney are going to get back together again. We know that they improvised, mm. that they improvised some of their lines because they had such a good time mm-hmm. in Queensland because they're able to shoot a film. But uh, yes, the young couple, uh, that all just seemed manufactured. And I also thought it was mildly sexist in the view that um, perhaps she should have had a career, their daughter, uh, and yet she was discouraged to some extent by her parents, um, or at least trying to get her to uh, have a career and then she herself decided she would prefer to live on the island and be married and harvest seaweed or whatever it is with her, with her husband. I mean, the whole thing just seems so bland. And old Parker, who uh, directed the sequel to Mamma Mia, as you mentioned, Here We Go Again, uh, is such a, a superficial, bland sort of filmmaker that um, uh, obviously trying to get, go for an audience-pleasing type of film, yet I didn't feel particularly pleased as an audience member member of this film. I, in fact, I thought the whole thing was just so manufactured and phony that uh, I just gave up by the end of the film. Wow. So, okay, you two agree. And it's funny because my wife loved it, really enjoyed herself. And yes, you get exactly what you expect to get. I, I don't disagree with that at all. But No, Alex, I didn't expect, I expected to get a bit of fun out of it. I'm a sucker for this kind of lightweight, fair, you know, it's by... Like, Alex, what did you think of, of the pilot, George's boyfriend, the surprise pilot who... It was pilot? Do you want your pilot to be the goofy <laughs> sidekick, honestly? No, you do not, but it's a fun-type film and it's, it's make-believe. I mean, that's what romance is. It's sort of this happily ever after type thing and it's easy on the eye it's a pleasant distraction it's soft it's it's a it's a romp that's what it's meant to be and it and dare I say uh, in this day and age I'm not even allowed to to proffer an opinion but I will it's female skewed I think and it should attract I object. Uh, yeah thank you it should it's female skewed except Jackie uh, but I, it, it, it should attract an audience and it will attract an audience I I, I mean it, they, they may not love it but yet my wife was chuckling right the way through this. So not everybody's going to take it the same way. And I, I mean, what? Okay. I just think people should go and see something else. That's all. 
Well, you're not going to, uh, my mark's going to be no reflection of your mark. So what are you going to give Ticket to Paradise, which, by the way, is M rated again and 104 minutes in length? Um, I'm going to give the marriage two years and the movie <laughs> four and a half out of ten. Okay, so that's a fail, Peter. And there's a conundrum attached to what you're saying, Alex, because a film that is popular is not necessarily a good quality film. Yeah, agree. No, so no, we, have, we have to go with those. All right, well, uh, overall, very bland, uh, five out of ten. Okay, so you, you're passing it, though, barely. Barely. <laughs> okay, I'm giving it a seven. Oh. <laughs> 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 I, knew, I knew you wouldn't appreciate it, Jackie. It's, that's you what, Alex, you won't even remember this film 12 months from now. No, 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 there's not much to remember. That's true. But in the sense that it just washes over you and I I got exactly what I expected to get. So, you know, I and... I reckon people would be happy if you just go and see the trailer when you're going to see another film, have a look at the trailer for this and you'll probably quite enjoy it. It runs a good three minutes, encapsulates the entire narrative and you'll have seen Clooney and Roberts. Well, we're talking about a movie next week called Fall, and that's one of my concerns that I'd seen the trailer, and I don't like. That's what I don't like seeing trailers. It, it, I want to see a movie without knowing anything about it, to be quite candid. Now we will talk about a movie which we saw a few weeks ago, but is rather important that we talk about because it's about David Bowie. What was David Bowie's real name? Do we know anybody? No silence on the line. David Robert Jones was his real name. So Bowie sounds a lot more exciting to me, but nothing wrong with a Jones name, but there you go, David Bowie. Actually, I'd like to know why. I think maybe there was the, were they around the same time as, there was another Jones, wasn't there? Was that the? Um, David Jones, yeah. David Jones. The, was that the Partridge family or no, what uh, was it? Monkeys, no, it, Monkeys, he, Monkeys. He took his stage name, I'm reading, mm. oh, from good. James Bowie who invented the famous knife. Ah. Literally announcing himself as cutting edge. Ah, <laughs> thank you. Ah, Very good. So it's hard to believe. You know, I when I was looking at this, I thought, when did he pass away? 2016. 2016. Mm. Extraordinary. January. Not that you find out anything of this in this film. Mm. Well, look, there's no question he was a creative genius. And for him, safe, middle of the road, just didn't cut it. He was innovative. He pushed himself, liked to live life on the edge, and he admired others who did live life that way. So according to what is a family-endorsed documentary, Moon Age Daydream, he was heavily influenced by his older half-brother, Terry, who was the one who introduced him to, quote-unquote, outsiders. And more than anything, Bowie was curious about the world around him. Boy, did he travel extensively. He never liked to feel comfortable. And to that end, he moved countries regularly and lived in a number of these out-of-the-way places. He was spiritual. His output, boy, was that prolific, not just as a singer-songwriter. One point of the doco, Jackie, by the age of 33, he'd released 17 albums. He'd starred in a couple of feature films. He'd appeared in a Broadway play, and he was an accomplished painter and sculptor. Wow. So, you know, it's how, how many people could, uh, could lay claim to that collection? And he was adored musically. He, he drew large, huge crowds. Groupies were in tears. 
before it was fashionable to do so, he declared himself bisexual. His look was androgynous. He proudly wore makeup. He painted his nails. And we see, there's a catalogue of his songs, many of them global hits, and his remarkable life story unfolds. And when we say remarkable life story, he had a, an unremarkable childhood, but clearly he had a thirst for knowledge and understanding from an early age, and he embraced difference. So all the colour and the glamour are on show in Moon Age Daydream, as well as the adoring concert crowds. So too some of the quieter moments. And throughout this documentary, we hear Bowie's thoughts through a series of interviews and note how his opinions changed over time. It was really evident between his early 20s and mid-30s, and, and life took a significant turn when he met and later married his wife, Iman, at the age of 45. Mind you, that reference only appears briefly towards the tail end of what I thought was a compelling documentary. What did you think of it, Peter? Uh, I think this is less a film about David Bowie and more a film about Brett Morgan, the director, who has used a kaleidoscope of images, many of which are not necessarily relevant or appropriate, uh, as well as a, a huge amount of footage that he has sort of jumbled together into this very long uh, sort of uh, sort of documentary, I call it a, a narrative to some extent, uh, about David Bowie. We learn very little about his private life or his personal life or his real attitudes. We don't hear from other people telling us more about him. I've seen other documentaries about David Bowie which are much more insightful and uh, and and, uh, discursive. Then this so does one, that mean you didn't enjoy this? I didn't. I, I, I was very disappointed by this film. I really thought that it was a kaleidoscope of imagery and oral um, uh, sounds, which uh, were, as I said, more of an artistic uh, collation by uh, Brett Morgan, who did a much better documentary um, uh, a few years ago on Kurt Cobain. Uh, but this one, he just went overboard and just tried to plough in as many uh, bits of footage and other things that are not really related or relevant, but was more about Brett Morgan's, I suppose, perspective on on David Bowie. And I'm not so sure is if you'd call this at all a definitive documentary. I've seen far better than this one. Hmm. Jackie? Uh, Peter, I think we're twins today. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I'm, because I, I really, it took me a while to... Jackie, it took me a while to get into this, but when I did, I really got into it. I, 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 I yeah. was hoping to get into it, Alex, and I just, the documentary wasn't about Bowie the man or us getting to know him. And I do know that it was deliberately done that way because mm. they say there are plenty of other docos about him where you can find out his name and his when he died and all sort of, and what his albums were and all that sort of thing. But I wanted something of the man in this film that was more than, as Peter said, you know, paint splotches and kind of random. I, I did like the archival footage, but mm. why did it have to be repeated over and over through the film, dragging it? And it was too long. It didn't need to yes, be Yes, well, it did not. That was that, I did struggle with that because, yeah, it, it went for two hours and 20 minutes, M-rated, Moon Age Daydream. Uh, look, he maintained a pace few others could. He made an indelible mark on the world. He touched so many people. His message, the message from this doco to me was clear, life is transitory. So it's what we do with it that counts. And he loved the rich and colourful existence he had. So that became, it, 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 didn't you find it visually arresting? No? 
Jackie? Uh, just just too much. It was about the visually arresting stuff that's quite mm. deliberately loud and gaudy and in your face, um, this, you know, kind of and deliberately random all over the place. I wanted more context of what I was looking at, particularly in the interviews. And when and we could only really grasp that really by the way Bowie was dressed or his hairstyle or how old his face might have, how ageing he was, and we kind of guessed at it. But I actually wanted to know. It didn't need to be, um, you know, progressively through his life, but... As we saw the interviews, I wanted to know what stage he was at there. So what I was watching, I wanted some more context or some, you know, some sort of signage or not necessarily a full narration at all. I like a doco that doesn't have full narration, but I, I, I did want to know more of, of what we were looking at. Yep. Hmm. Well, I mean, written and directed by Brett Morgan, I, I do think, yeah, the start could have been pared back. But, you know, once I got into it, uh, I was quite riveted. I, I say that as someone who admired David Bowie, but I wouldn't call myself an aficionado. And it, it, it's rich, it's colourful, that's the existence that he had. So, yeah, again, I, I'm sure that I appreciated this a lot more than the two of you. Peter, score out of 10 for Moon Age Daydream. I'll just mention a 2016 documentary called The Man Who Changed the World, which I think is much more insightful about mm -hmm. David Bowie. Uh, look, I, uh, I I think I'll give this film because it, it is visually arresting and, and the soundscape is very good. I just wish it was more about David Bowie. David. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so I'll give it six out of ten. Jackie. Do you know I've got something in common with David Bowie? Uh, hang on, hang on. Let's try and guess. Um, the fact is that you both like unusual I things. Know. I don't know if I want you guessing, Alex. Oh, I can't. Well, you could have just said, "Oh, yes." What? What is that, Jackie? Um, and in fact, it's probably really the only thing I learned about David Bowie in the whole film. Um, no, he he has the eye condition and a sucoria which is why his eyes look weird. One pupil is larger than the other. But his was caused in a fight when he had a punch-up with another boy over a girl in primary school or something, and his eye pupil stayed larger than the other one, um, whereas mine comes and goes. So there you go. And I gave the film Moon So hang on, did you have a punch-up as well? No. Oh. No, it can be a genetic thing. It can be just... Just a thing. In fact, 20% of the population has it. So it's so hang on, 20% of the population it's, has one pupil larger than another. Is that right? I, yes, but sometimes it's only one or two millimetres, so that's why it's not oh. noticeable. Um, but, of course, the more, you know, dramatic it is, the more someone might say... Oh, Are our ears the same so, size, Jackie? Should our ears I be... I can't comment on ears. I'm sorry. Oh, this well, is, uh, what, what useful... Part of you playing in I've all of this. I've given you as much as I can. <laughs> Thank and you. I'm going to give Moon Age Daydream six out of ten, Peter. Our we're twins. And wow. and I gave a score two two marks above you, Peter, with the first movie, and I'm going to be two marks above you with this one. I'm giving this an eight out of ten. I enjoyed it. As we're I say, winning so far, Peter. The vote is in. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> That's right. Majority rules. <laughs> okay. The Railway Children return. Now, uh, <laughs> did did you see the original Railway Children? Because you would have been about... Yes. You did. Okay. And Jackie? 
No, no. Well, I know of it. I can't remember whether I, I saw it or not. I can't recall either. No. It was sort of an image. Yeah, it was a lovely 1970 film. Lionel Jeffries, the actor, uh, stepped in to direct it, and he did such a nice job uh, of of that film. And of course, Jenny Agutter was one of the children. Yes, yes. In fact, one of the children, and now now she comes back as a grandmother. I think that's terrific. Fifty two years between drinks. Very yes. nice indeed. Yeah. So it's a family movie about the impact of war in the UK on children, and it is 1944. And a new wave of German bombing has British families on edge. So parents scramble to get their children onto steam trains bound for the country to families who'll care for them temporarily. And so it is from mother and her three youngsters who live in Salford, which is in Manchester. The children, 13-year-old Lily, played by Bo Gadsden, 11-year-old Patty, Eden Hamilton, and Ted, Zach Cudby, who is aged six, head to a Yorkshire village named Oakworth. The three, who are keen not to be separated, end up staying with the headmistress of a local school, and her name is Annie. Sheridan Smith plays her. Her husband is off fighting the Germans. She lives with her mother, Bobby, and that's the Jenny Agatha character who, as we've mentioned, reprises her iconic role. And so she lives with her mother, Bobby, and son, Thomas, played by Austin Haynes. And Austin, like Lily, is 13 years of age. No, not Austin. Thomas, played by Austin Haynes, is 13 years of age. And in no time, the Manchester children are quite at home with their adopted family and also with the open spaces that their new locale affords them. They get along just fine with Thomas. They enjoy playing in the local railway yard where Thomas has a secret hideout. So it's all one big adventure. Until they discover an injured American soldier called Abe, K.J. Aitkins, whose backstory is not a pleasant one. He's on the run, being chased by the military police, although is not as it seems. What the railway children discover is an ugly byproduct of war that does not sit comfortably with the kids. So it's a largely glossy representation of the period, the railway children return, tempered with darker moments. It's, it's one of these darker moments that gives the movie its major plot point and bite. Mind you, I thought there were a number of moving components that help build the tension, and it's got a younger audience in mind. It's it's PG rated, but it's been written by Daniel Brocklehurst and Gemma Rogers, while Morgan Matthews is the director of the piece. I mean, much of the heavy lifting goes to Bo Gadsden, the 13-year-old who has come from Manchester, and I thought she sort of admirably captured the mix of responsible, pragmatic and playful that the role dictates. Did you enjoy it, Jackie, or not? I didn't see this one, Alex. Well, there we go. What about you, Peter? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a pretty good sequel, mm-hmm. <laughs> two years down the track, yes. of the of the original film. And I like the way they wove in uh, a racial, um, cultural sort of aspect. Well, they uh, have to, to these days, though, Peter, don't they? It's not compulsory, but I think Well, it, 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 it almost works. is. What I'm saying, it, I mean, in this politically correct age... Uh, you, you need to have diverse parts, do you not? I mean, Hollywood made that edict some time ago. I presume the Brits are following suit, and you know, I, it's 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 a requ- it's almost a requirement in movies. I mean, me- most movies we see now have got more diversity, and I I don't think that's a bad thing. But it, it's um, some people have a problem with it. 
Maybe, but I think it works very effectively in this film. It and does. Uh, uh, and it, it had this sort of nice spirit and flow to it, which the original had. And it was so nice to see Jenny Agatha back as uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, grandmother, and uh, and she having her her own issues with her daughter, who's uh, waiting to hear news. Um, and it sort of gives you that feel of uh, the dislocation that uh, children had when they were sent away, a bit like the Kinder Transport, uh, yes. where J Jewish children were, of course. Uh, uh, taken into the countryside uh, so that they wouldn't be uh, bombed, etc., cetera, or, or affected by the Holocaust and so on. So, look, this this was a really nice version. My only regret is that they didn't use that beautiful theme, music, that was used in the original film. Ah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so here they've used um, uh, a, a different uh, uh, musical score, score which, uh, mm. which I thought was so-so, uh, but uh, it, it didn't have quite the same feel and emotion to it. But it was beautifully shot uh, and certainly uh, getting the feel of the 40s, the countryside uh, and of the railways and of that whole notion of being isolated and remote and uh, finding out what's going on in the real world, if you like to put it that way, uh, is just part and parcel of this uh, really nicely observed film so I quite and, and liked gen it. gentle I mean the, the, the gentler times no question about that you know you didn't have the video games and you you made you made adventure on your own didn't you that that was what really struck me as well and yes. I thought they, they represented that beautifully and bear in mind we I mentioned Bo Gadsden uh, there's a, a bit of a spark about her, which which is also present, I thought, in The Younger Sister, as portrayed by Eden Hamilton. I thought they, they worked really, really well. And Austin Haynes, very pleasant demeanour to his character, Thomas. I, I also thought that the adults played their parts pretty well too. I mean, Sheridan Smith as the school mum and, and there was John Bradley. Now, wasn't he a bit of a hoot as the, the Oakworth station master, Richard Perks, the, the grandson of the previous station master? Both yes. Both. Yes. Which are, again, really nice. You know, so it's it's a pleasant trip down memory lane. That's how I would describe it, Peter. Look, I agree. I agree, and I think uh, uh, younger audiences will still like it. They did don't have to have seen the original film. No. To to appreciate this and. Uh, but older audiences who do remember uh, Lionel Jeffrey's film uh, will have fond memories as well. So, look, yeah, no, I think it's well done. It's a good family film, and it, it uh, certainly does not outstay its welcome. It's really nicely uh, directed and well-written, and uh, it, I think it has a very appropriate conclusion. Mm. So, score out of 10 for The Railway Children, 99 minutes, PG rated. I give it seven out of ten. I, I enjoyed it. As do I. So there we go. We finally agree on something, Peter. That's rather <laughs> oh, scary. That, that, it is scary. <laughs> it, it is. So, so look, the, these are, I mean, quite a diverse bunch of films. And, and I should say that the next one we're going to talk about is very different, and it's called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So an interesting title because you, you sort of you're you're immediately thinking horror aren't you when you when you hear those those three words but we're talking about a small group of doped up rich kids with far too much time on their hands and and that alone is enough to tell us that this is bound to end badly and of course it does they're 20 somethings and they plan what is called a hurricane party so a hurricane is upon them and they're at a remote family mansion so what could possibly go wrong? Well, everything. And and before this is over, they are going to have blood on their hands and plenty of it. At the last minute, 
into this sort of gathering walks Sophie, played by Amanda Stenberg, who's um, making a bit of a splash in terms of her acting career, and her new Russian girlfriend, who's known as B, Maria Bakalova, for whom Sophie has professed her love. The pair hardly draws breath from their lip locking. I've got to say, they uh, they make, the, the cinematography really hones in on that. This group of youngsters is used to playing a game that starts with tequila shots. I think it's tequila, isn't it, Peter? I think so. Yes. Yeah, and and they follow that by a hard slap on the face. Very unusual way to start a game, I would have thought. But there you go. <laughs> Very unusual. Uh, and the game itself is called Bodies, 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 and it involves moving around in the dark and a mock murderer. Now, in spite of the fact that it always ends in arguments, the game that is, this group is at it again. This time, the game turns deadly and everyone is under suspicion. So what's that Agatha Christie movie? And and then there were none. And then there were none. Yeah, and then there were none. It was kind of like that. So uh, anyway, of course they profess their innocence. and, And as they do, it doesn't stop the body count from growing. It's aimed at a young adult audience, bodies, bodies, bodies. It's a darkly comedic horror thriller. I think it makes its mark. And I've got to say, first up, it's very easy to form an unfavourable opinion of members of this collective, right? I mentioned to you, you too much time in their hands, too much money. That's what we're meant to. That's the opinion I think we're meant to form. Uh, they hardly do themselves any favours. Uh, the majority are constantly moaning and bitching. So each of the seven key protagonists, led by the two that I've already mentioned, they're given their time in the sun. So the story is by Kristen Rupanu- um I'm going to get this name mispronounced, so I apologise, Rupanian, and the screenplay by Sarah DeLapp. It's, it's cleverly pinched in both language and tone, I thought, at Generation Z. So, And there is a butte twist which I really enjoyed at the end of this picture. It's called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Jacqueline Hamilton, did you like it? I expected to not like it, Alex. Horror, mm-hmm. thriller, teenage, oh, well, 20s, yes. you know, modern. it wasn't going to be me. I went along and it almost, I would say, almost came close to blowing me away. I wow. thoroughly recommend this. If you say that's the demographic it's aimed at, mm-hmm. I want to widen that because I think a lot of people would really get into this and enjoy it. The main reason being it's actually a really well-made film. It has a, a beautiful natural language. Um, it's contemporary. It's quite Hang fresh. on, hang on. Beautiful sort of natural, natural. Sorry, beautiful yeah. natural language. Yes, yes. These kids can barely talk. Okay, go ahead. No, I totally disagree with that. They can communicate, but they can't talk. Keep on going. Well, talk, what, talk in terms of how you say it. I thought that their language was very natural. I thought that, therefore, the script, it's like you're listening to the kids on the tram with you. Correct. That's the way they speak. I don't disagree with that. That's true. Well, but just it's, because it's different from the way that you speak doesn't I'm mean not, it's... I'm just, well, I, it, it's, it, I heard a radio interview... It's authentic. It's a film yes, that's authentic. authentic. No, no, that's it's. true. It's authentic. I heard an interview on radio yesterday with some kids who were teenagers and every second word was like. like. And they didn't do every second word like in no, this No, they film. didn't do that in this movie. That's true. These, so these there are you go. Movies. You just shot down your argument. No, I didn't. There was no, that, that little bit of 
there was that sexual tension there. There was the stress. There was the storm. There was the fabulous lighting off the phones and that fluorescent neck wear that I think it was Alice was wearing. So the production was, I thought, absolutely beautiful, spot on. You could see their eyes lit up by the phone and um, you could see it, it wasn't glamorous. I mean, <laughs> by the end of them, they looked like they'd been through. <laughs> they, yeah, they really had been film. through, yes. That's true. <laughs> yes. But also the film really developed their personalities as they began to turn on each other. You could really see where, they were, where they'd come from and the kind of people they were. I, the one thing I also love in a film like this, and it was a little bit bloody. It wasn't as gory as I thought. I just screwed up. My oh, there was a, there was a, there times. was enough blood yeah, there. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, and I thought there were a few things where it was going to go bump in the night, and I was going to, you know, have nightmare. But I just screwed my eyes up, and it actually wasn't that bad. But what really um, defrays all that is the humour that came through. And the humour, there was a nice steady tone of light tone of humour right through it, but there were a couple of outstanding and absolutely hilarious moments of uh, basically misunderstandings. Um, there was the, you know, the vet as in, uh, you know, a veteran who'd been to Afghanistan compared with was he, well, that doesn't spoil it, does it, if I say that, Alex? Or was he a veterinarian? I just thought that was <laughs> so funny because there was the, you know, the misunderstanding there. And the other one that was really funny was Alice trying to explain how well she knew Greg because she'd met him in a pub two weeks ago. And the way that that little, uh, you know, tit for tat and conversation evolved was just exquisite. So, I should say that the big name in this is Pete Davidson, who was on Saturday Night Live and uh, used to be partnered with Kim Kardashian, and you know is 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 one of these uh, up and comers who well he's 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 a arisen shall we say long before now, but he's probably the biggest name in the cast apart from uh, Amal, um, what's her name Amandla. Yes, Amanda Stenberg. Amanda with an L A. Um, yeah, they're the two big names in the in the cast. So Pete, oh, I thought they were all outstanding. All these young people were outstanding in their roles. Handheld camera movement, of course, Peter. There was that there, and the director is Helena Arain, and she certainly keeps the action coming, does she not? She certainly does. And uh, it was so interesting to watch this because I was uh, harking back to Agatha Christie, mm. even though this is a much bloodier version of an Agatha Christie uh, sort of uh, uh, thriller. But uh, I was quite impressed by this. It was interesting how the focus on the film was on the female characters, and I think that makes it very effective, especially in the way that the two men who are in the film are represented. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, Pete Davidson, yes, but also Lee Pace. Lee Pace is not a young man. He's uh, He must be in his late 40s, early 50s. He, he's known for being in Lord of the Rings and uh, uh, many, many other films. He's uh, a journeyman actor. And and uh, I, I thought the way that the two men were treated in this film and uh, and the twist that happens, which, of course, we won't reveal, is uh, was very cleverly done. So I really enjoyed it. I, I think it was much better than I expected it to be. Uh, and I thought it was a, a very clever piece of plotting because everything is very carefully 
plotted until the uh, end sequences. So mm. yes, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, there was there was the I mentioned the handheld camera. There was also the wind. There was the rain. There was an appropriately disturbing score. They they all add to the tension. It knows its audience. Jackie's just expanded that. It remains strong. It remains edgy throughout. I'm giving it a seven out of ten. What about you guys, Jackie? Oh, an eight out of ten from me, Alex. I thought wow. it was great fun. Great mm. fun film. And Peter? I really liked it too. A seven out of ten from me. There you go. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Now, we are very limited in time, but we will mention Pinocchio, which you can get on Disney Plus, I believe. Is that right, Peter? Yes. Yep. Uh, reimagined by Robert Zemeckis, Pinocchio. Been fusing sort of live action with computer generated imagery, CGI. And the storyteller is Jiminy Cricket, the voice of Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh, it could have been better, Peter. I, 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 I think it was it was okay without blowing me away. I mean, Tom Hanks approaches his role as Geppetto with enthusiasm. He hams it up for the cameras. Uh, look, it was clever and creative to the a point, but I, I can't say I was totally sold. I found it a bit stretched in terms of running time, for example. It was longer than the original Disney classic, which is very much that and a, a great movie. Uh, the blend of live action and graphics works okay, although I wouldn't call it best of breed. And the final sequence, for example, set in the ocean is the least convincing of the challenges that Pinocchio faces. What did you think? Look, I tend to agree with you. It, it, uh, the animation, I thought, was much better. And, and Disney is progressively doing more live actions of their animations. And I'm not sure if that's the best way to go, because this one, you're quite right, is fairly bland. Yes, visually, there are some great visual effects in the film. Yes, it tells the story, but it does introduce some darker elements um, mm. into the, uh, the this uh you know, tried and true, tested uh, tale, which I thought uh, younger children might get a little upset by this. So uh, this may be for older children rather than for, for younger ones. Mm. What uh, would you give it out of 10? Yeah, Tom Hanks does a reasonable job. Look, I give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable score, 6 to 6.5 out of 10 for Pinocchio. Uh, and, you know, it's not terrible. It's just that the original was so breathtaking. So that that's, that's basically what we'd say about that Disney classic turned into a new movie that you can see on Disney+. Plus. That's it, folks. We are off for another week. I hope you enjoy your movie movie going. And thank you very much, Peter. Thank you, Jackie. You've been listening to First on Film and Entertainment. Catch you next Sunday morning. Mm-hmm.